0: Hello everybody, welcome as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. This is uh, lesson number 236. I bet you're glad you don't have to buy these or something. <laughs> now available on a 57 DVDs. <laughs> no, they're really not. But, um, but all of it, I think every single one of these that made it to a recording is on the website, so not, that's four, four and a half years worth. So, uh, but we're in part two thirty-six. We're in the second chapter of Revelation. We've been looking through the scriptures, a chapter at a time, and uh, most of the time, sometimes it took two weeks to do a chapter. But, but uh, chapter at a time, and holding it all in context. And so, we've worked our way through here to the book of Revelation. Um, we know the book of Revelation was written by John. We know it was written at the towards the end of his life, probably, you know, in in. Uh, in 85 95 ad you know well well into what was taking place uh in his life and he's been exiled um to the island of patmos we we left it there last week and um this revelation from jesus comes to him and um he's told to write these things down and we in our introduction i said you know there's there it's written down the um we're going to look at it from primarily a futuristic view which means we believe that uh The events uh, of Revelation beginning in chapter 4 have yet to happen, Um, that uh, he wrote what he saw, which was uh, in chapter 1. We looked at that, and then he wrote what is, which is uh, the churches in Asia that existed at the time of seven churches, and then he writes what's to come, which begins in chapter 4. So that's how we're looking at it. Uh, I introduced you to some other ideas of how to look at the book last week, but we can't sort of run through them all, all the time, because it gets rather confusing but uh, primarily we'll be looking at Revelation with the understanding that, um, th- that it breaks down that way. The first chapter was this Revelation that was coming to him at that moment. These letters that are being written to the seven churches we're going to dig into today. The, all those churches existed and we're dealing with issues at the time um, that still carry on to today. And then beginning in chapter 4, we start looking at things that have not yet taken place. And, uh, and so we're waiting for that to happen you know, as I said, some people believe all of this has already happened, and, uh, um, or that it's all just symbolic, and none of it's ever going to happen, but that this is not the viewpoint I'm going to teach from, okay? So, well, and we'll look at a few other ideas, and along the way, we'll have to talk about, um, probably in chapter four, uh, we'll talk about, you know, what has the terminology now, the rapture, which isn't really a biblical word, but the catching up, as it is in Thessalonians, when that happens to the church, um, we'll have to discuss that a little bit, and, um, what that looks like. And, but we've got a couple, a couple of weeks before we get there. So we're in chapter 2 now, and um, Jesus has, uh, you know, he's appeared to John, and uh, it was overwhelming the way he looked. I like one of the songs that we did earlier in Revelation, you know, where it talks about, you know, his eyes on fire and, and his hair, his white hair, and uh, how I said to you last week that the, Re- the book of Revelation will challenge your image of Jesus a little bit, um, which is good. And, and, uh, and so, um, you know, when John first saw his friend Jesus, you know, he went he, like a dead man on the floor, and Jesus came over to him and said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And, and you know, I want you to always remember that. The, the book of Revelation uh, is that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus is with us and for us, no matter what happens and how we think the events are going to happen. He's with us and for us, and we never need to be afraid as his children uh, and... Um, And so you need to hold that into account. And really, throughout the book, uh, I know it gets confusing at times. There's a lot of symbols. There's a lot of stuff that's very hard to figure out. Always, because it's a revelation of Jesus, underneath it all, you should be asking yourself, how does this, you know, what can you learn about this, about um, walking closer with Jesus? How will this help you in your daily walk with Jesus and what you experience? Because it's a very hopeful book. I mean, it's good. It's good. Jesus is coming back. It's an extremely hopeful thing. It's nothing to be... It's what we long for. And so that's filled with that sort of hope and what's taking place in the process. So uh, chapter 2 and 3 are going to be th- these, these, these letters that basically are dictated to John um, in this revelation by Jesus for the churches that exist at the time. There's seven churches that these are going to be written to. Um, I said, you know, over time the church has viewed these, uh, these seven churches maybe as time periods, and we looked at that last week about how the church is up till now, um, that viewpoint would hold that we're the Laodicean church, a lukewarm church, and which isn't good, um, but, and, you know, we just sort of moved out of a couple of pretty good church phases, um, of the missionary church and, and the impact they had, um, that's one way to look at it, um. Again, with a futuristic view, I, I, I wouldn't hold to that as much as I would, that we can learn from all of the churches that existed at the time and be aware of the tricks and the traps and the schemes of the enemy and what we need to do to continue to press on to be the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and remember, these, these their letters are written to um, the way that a letter would be delivered at that point in time in a very systematic way uh, of the churches located in the, in the province there of Asia. Minor beginning with the Church of Ephesus. Uh, and, um, and so with that in mind, let's let's begin. I'm going to read Revelation chapter two and then we'll discuss it on the back side of that. Beginning in verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrifice to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over, over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So, chapter two um, has these letters that are being dictated to seven churches. These are the first four churches and they would be just the way they were on the route, the churches that are happening, beginning in the church of Ephesus. You'll notice in almost every letter that's written to the church, Jesus starts with something good about what they're doing, and then he has something that's not good about what they're doing, and then he gives them an action sort of step, which is usually to repent. Um, uh, the The second church that we'll look at actually doesn't get a condemnation because of their they're under intense persecution, and and Jesus, com- you know, he commends them and doesn't give them sort of the rebuke. Um, so, so of all the churches, that's that's the difference. Um, he, he doesn't tell them, I have this against you at all. He encourages them in their persecution. So that one's a little different. But let's dig in and see, see what we can understand about uh, these letters that are being written and how we can apply them to ourselves today and to the church today. So the first letter was written, the first part of the dictation was to the church in Ephesus and they were commended. Jesus gave them good for their hard work and for their endurance. But um, he says he has this against them that they don't love the way they did it first. They've forsaken their first love. And he uh, challenges them to remember and repent um, that what's happened. So Ephesus, interesting place. It's the capital of Asia Minor, big city. There was a big church there at this time. Um, also located in Ephesus, if you remember from our study in Acts, was the temple to Artemis. Um, and this was uh, this temple was one of the ancient wonders of the world. And a major industry... There was the manufacture of images of this goddess. Now, uh, Artemis, you, you, you might remember this from the book of Acts. When we looked at this, I've I got the verse. You can write it down. Acts 19, 23 through 27. And Because Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, three years. And he had this big um, sort of riot break out. And, and uh, those verses say this in Acts 19, 23 to 27. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So um, this is why it's so good to have studied these things in context. Hopefully you remember that whole process there in in Ephesus. A riot breaks out because Christianity is not good for business to the false um, gods and the people who worship them primarily for business. You know, he sort of couches his whole deal in, well, it's not going to be for business. And then the end, oh, and of course, it's not going to be good for the worship of Artemis either. I meant that first. But, but uh, his deal was really, uh, this isn't going to be good for business. And, and so we, we still have that, uh, that whole process taking place. But the church has flourished in Ephesus. They're in the, and it's become a, 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 you know, a big deal in Ephesus. Um, now, the, the one, just so we remember the, some of the symbols that we looked at last week, the one who mock, walks among the seven gold lampstands. The seven gold lampstands are the seven churches. We talked about that last week. Um, and Jesus is the one who's walking among them. Uh, and the seven stars um, are the messengers of the churches. Now, um, he, these letters are addressed to the angels. I, I said, you know, um, because there's a rebuke involved, we doubt that he's actually, uh, it's, it's a to them it's to the leadership of the churches that these letters are being written and, and uh they're just using because that can be messenger angel that that whole thing that word is is there and so um and jesus is there in the midst of them which talks about jesus power and authority um over the churches and the leaders so so that's what's being set up in this whole letter and, and uh and so, like I said, he commends the church at Ephesus for working hard and enduring and not tolerating evil people um, and, and uh, y- you know, um, examining the claims of false prophets. All these things are valid things that need to happen in the church today. Um, but all of these things need to come out of a motivation of love for God. The reason that the, we do anything in the church should always be because our, our, of our love for God. And something has happened in the church at Ephesus, that they're working hard, and he thinks that's wonderful, but he said your motivation's not right. You've lost your first love, and and that um, if you continue to operate out of this busy works sort of place, it, it's, it's not gonna go well with you. And now, and remember too, the church in Ephesus was once commended for its love. Um, Paul says this about the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1:15 you can write it down look it up for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints So in the beginnings this church was noted for its love and now Jesus is having to go to him, you've forgotten the, the love that that uh, that is is you know what the foundation of all this is So it's busy and active but it's not loving well. service for God, anything we do for God has to be motivated by love, or it's, it's something completely different, and so it has to be out of a heart that just wants to love God from all that we are. Now, the Nicolaitans, um, you'll read about them some, they, they were apparently believers, um, or professed believers who compromised their faith, and uh, in, in, in that they professed to be believers, and yet still were indulging in the sinful practices of Ephesian society. And, and so um, anytime you get people stuck in that compromise, it's not a good situation. So Jesus talks about them in the process. You will also might know that some people believe that the Nicolaitans and, um, and the Balaamites, that the Greek Nicolaitan is just the um, Hebrew uh, Balaamite, that is, they're talking about the same group, but they're mentioned together sometimes, so I'm not sure how that works. But it's people that are stuck in this compromise, which are also the Balaamites, Um, who we'll read about here directly in in one of the next churches they're they're causing issues as well and then you know the promises they'll eat of the tree of life and that's a reference back to Genesis 2 9 there were two trees um, there in the garden there was the tree of good and evil and the tree of life Uh, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of good and evil so they weren't allowed to eat from the tree of life but uh, in Christ we have the promise of eating from the tree of life so good stuff all right, and that's the letter to the church in Ephesus. The next part of the letter is written to the church in Smyrna. And they were um, suffering incredible persecution and poverty. And um, Jesus' action for them, like I said, He doesn't have the rebuke that the other churches get, is, is not to be fearful, um, but, but be faithful and, and to hang on to that. So Smyrna now is only about 25 miles away from Ephesus. Ephesus. Um, Not far, you know, that's the distance from what, here to Key West? And yet the the church in the city there was struggling against two very difficult forces. There was a Jewish population there that was strongly opposed to Christianity, and there was a non-Jewish population that was extremely loyal to the Roman Caesar and worshipped him as God. And so both these groups, very prominent in Smyrna, were persecuting the church. Neither one of them wanted the church to be there, and so it was very, very difficult in the process. And, and um, uh, y- you know, Jesus tells them to be faithful and to endure, and that He's reliable, and and um, that they would receive a crown for the suffering uh, and and what they were going through in the process. And it's uh, it's sort of a, a James. Reference in James 1:12, it says, "Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him." And so, in 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 the letter, it talks about uh, you know this this crown that they'll receive, and uh, because he's faithful and true. And it was a, a reference that they could understand. Uh, Smyrna was known for sort of um, athletic games and winners there winning a crown. Uh, in the process, and so all of that would have been a reference that they could have understood, and Jesus is telling them just to be faithful and to hang on, and, and remember, being a believer is not a guarantee that you will never face persecution from the world around you, um, it's just not, but he's always faithful, and he's got us through till the end, and, and that's what we need to hang on to in the process, and we receive the crown of life, eternal life with him. Then uh, in verses 12 through 17, the next part of the letter is is dictated to the church in Pergamum. Pergamum. Um, Pergamum is commended for remaining loyal, for being a loyal people. Um, But um, they're rebuked for tolerating compromise in the process. And and they are um, encouraged by Jesus to repent. And so, um, and Pergamum is an interesting place. It uh, It was built up on a hill. It was higher than everything around it, about a 1,000 feet above the surrounding countryside. So it was like a natural fortress. It was a very sophisticated city. It was sort of the center of Greek culture and education. It uh, had a library at this point in time in history of over 200,000 volumes, apparently, which is a pretty big deal. Um, At the same time, it was also a center for four major cults um, in in the population. The... um, A cult to Zeus, Dionysus, um, Asclepius, and Athene. And so, um, that's how it got the name, the city where Satan has his throne. Because these four demonic cults all existed there. And so, that's when you see the reference to where Satan lives. It's because these cults were so prevalent there in Pergamum. And so, um, the the believers in Pergamum constantly experienced pressure to compromise or to leave the faith. And and, uh, so he talks about Antipas there who did not compromise and he was actually killed for his faith uh, in the process, as, you know, were a lot of uh, people in that time period. And um, and yet, uh, apparently in the church, there was a lot of compromise and that was an issue. And compromise is, is trying to make um, two opposing things work together when they just can't sort of work out together. Um, that's the compromise he's, con- he's condemning. Um, you know, trying to... Um, blend Christianity into this cult stuff and it just can't happen um, and because what you end up with is neither um, well and so um, you know we're to always cooperate with people where we can but um, but you know we, we can't um, compromise to the point where we say that you know you can just go ahead and do whatever you want to do that's not okay and uh, introduced to us there and I mentioned him a little earlier was, was Balaam they called him the Balaamites and Balaam and, and Balak and Balak was a king back in Numbers, a bad king. Israel was coming to get them. Balak actually tries to hire Balaam to um, toss a curse on them, the people of Israel. And Balaam won't because God's not in it. And yet later on you find out that Balaam's really not a good guy and for money he um, misleads the people of Israel and causes them to um, to idol, to turn to idol worship. Uh, if you want to go and look at that, it's Numbers 31, um, but in particular in verse 16 they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So Balaam convinced them to um, worship um, in, in Baal and with those false practices. So that's what's being referred to there in um, Revelation. And what Jesus is rebuking is, is the church for tolerating um, people who, like Balaam, lead people away from God and into other directions. And he's saying you just you can't allow that. So that can't happen then there's that little thing about hidden manna uh, which is cool hidden manna I believe is you know is that Jesus is the bread of life and it's the the eternal bread that we'll feast on and then the white stones and um, uh, we're not we're not really sure what the white stones are um, um, or what the name on each will be but apparently all of us as believers will will get one of these white stones and it'll have um, a name that that uh, a new na- our new name that Jesus has for us written on the stones it 's kind of cool when you think about it I kind of like that so um, you'll you 'll have a white stone with with the name that Jesus has for you written on it um, and and because you know he was the people he was always giving them new names uh, we see that in the in the whole process right and so um he 's got a name for you uh, and and uh, the, that, that little stone that you'll get whatever that looks like maybe it's a great big stone I don't know or maybe it's a nice little one I don't know if you don't know you'll get a white stone with your new name on it and that's uh, very cool so that's that letter uh, that part of the letter the, the last part of Revelation 2 is written to um, Thyatira the church there um, and he commends their love and their faith and their service and their endurance um, but he condemns them rebukes them for tolerating immorality in the process, and he also tells them they need to repent. Thyatira was sort of sort of a working person's town. Um, uh, so many of the tradesmen were there. Um, you, you, you. If you remember in our in our New Testament study, you've heard of Thyatira because that's where Lydia was from, uh, and she was like the cloth merchant. Acts 16, 16:14. You can look at that. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So, um, a lot of merchants and tradespeople lived in Thyatira, and um, the believers there, Jesus said, were doing great in their, in, in, for growing in good deeds and the way they reached out um, to people. Um, but there was someone in the church who um, was a self professed prophetess, um, and she was basically teaching that immorality was not a serious matter for believers, not a big deal and we had that often as a false teaching because some people believed that the spirit and the flesh were completely separate and so in your flesh you could do whatever you want false teaching um, not a good teaching and um, she may or may not have been called Jezebel it might have just been the name that was used to describe her because um, she was like uh, Jezebel in the Old Testament um, Jezebel um, if, you, if you haven't read about Jezebel I'm sure you've heard the name she was a pagan queen of Israel married to Ahab um, and is considered by some to be the most evil woman in history. She was not good person at all. We're studying her on our Sunday night classes right now. We're in the book of First Kings, and uh, uh, if you ever want to go and just read about an evil person, go and read about she. She was not not a good person, and she was um, she would have been the high priestess of Baal, uh, as well as married to King Ahab. It was a, a mixed, you know, they the countries came together, and made that happen. So. Not good, uh, and and so um, you know it's used as a symbol that this woman was very evil and she needed to be dealt with because she was leading people astray as well, telling them that they could sexual immorality that that their their physical life had no impact on their spiritual life, and that wasn't true. And then um, Jesus is the one being referred to as the morning star. He's also called that in twenty in Revelation twenty two sixteen, and the idea is that the, that a morning star appears just before dawn. Um, when the night's coldest in darkness and that the idea is that when, when things seem to be at the worst here at the end of history, Jesus will burst onto the scene and he exposes all this evil with light and brings his the reward that we're waiting for. So that's the idea What's coming with that. So um, that's certainly enough to digest for one night. And I probably talked a little too long because it's already eight. But uh, think about that. We'll pick up chapter three next week. We'll look at the last uh, of the three churches and what's happening. We'll read about them, but that's good for now. If you're up in the sound room, would you please uh, turn the video off and let me know you're there by turning the light on or something? or wave? Okay, you're there. Good. Go ahead and turn that off.